it's good to be here again. We missed last Sunday, and Anna and I talk about this, that when we miss a Sunday of church, it feels like we missed a long time. I don't know if others feel the same when they miss a Sunday, but for us, and it's not wrong, we were in another church, we're preaching, I was preaching there, and had a good time there. As Joe mentioned, we have finished the series of Come and See, and so we're done with that series, but we're going to continue now in different topics in different areas. One of the things that has been on my mind pretty heavily lately, and I've titled my sermon God's Reward System, is the lack of accountability and the lack of responsibility in our culture, generally speaking. It doesn't matter whether it's children in school, whether it's at the workforce, in the workforce, even up to the highest levels of politics, I shouldn't have to pay. Well, I was, well, whatever the case may be, we want an out. We want an escape from ownership and an escape from responsibility. I have news. Life has never been that way. It never will be that way. Actions bring rewards or consequences. I know the Bible says that God is love and God's gracious, and that's true. God sustains this world through His grace and through His infinite knowledge and sovereignty. He's a God who loves the godly and the ungodly. As Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, He sends rain on the just and the unjust. And there are multiple levels of being, we could say, but we are not just inanimate, static objects. We are living beings, made in His image, allowed to choose, make choices that bring with it rewards or consequences. God's created us this way. And even though He blesses all of humanity generally, there are rules and principles and standards which, if they're violated, life doesn't go well. For instance, a lot of life is very simple. Two plus two is four. We know that. It just is. But there's so many other things in life that we don't see that way. We just, there's, there's, there's uncertainty or there's lack of clarity. Life is not all clearly black and white. It's true, but there are principles and standards which God expects His people to live by. And some of them we're actually born with. Every child just, just intuitively knows the pain of rejection. We're made to be accepted. We're designed to be accepted, to be loved and cherished. When that's denied, things don't work out good. Little children know that. There's some things they don't know. For instance, a little child, when they learn to talk, they'll tell lies. I have never known a child that didn't. But they don't know what's wrong until you explain that to them and they develop a principle. Okay, well, maybe I shouldn't tell lies. And pretty soon you can tell when they do. What Christian parents want is for their children to grow and develop into responsible, loving, hardworking adults who fear God and love people and live well-adjusted lives. Maybe you're wondering, where is he going to go with this sermon? On the one hand, we, do, we love to talk about a God of grace and love and mercy and compassion. It's true. On the other hand, we, had a God, we have a God of justice, a God of principles, of the rule of law. There's the reward system and the penalty system. Life simply works that way. And you know this. Take, for instance, you go apply for a job. You get the job. You get hired. You do a good job. You benefit the company and the employer likes it. You gain respect. You build trust. All things being equal, eventually you get promoted. Up and up and up it goes. On the other hand, you look for a job. You have to have a job. You have to have a paycheck. You need, you need money. But you don't like the job. You don't try any interest in work. You're sloppy, careless, and just reckless. Well, it goes down. Pretty soon you're without a job. That's a penalty. You get the idea. That's how life is designed. The thing is, this also works in relationships even. 
a person who's generous, kind, loving, and outgoing, and trying to bless other people, eventually that starts coming back. A person who just wants to pull inward. I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to meet people. I don't want to. And sometimes there's personality traits. I get it. They fall. They affect us as well. But we can't hold people responsible for what we're not willing to do. Nobody wants to connect with me. Well, why may that be? Things go around to say what goes around comes around. How does one explain life, however, if maybe you've done it all right, you've did your job, you've, 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 you've gone out of your way, you've went the extra mile, and it doesn't work? And worse, let's say you've gone out of your way, you've done everything right, you did your job, everything, and it backfires on you. Now you get treated badly. There's opposition. There's oppression and maybe even persecution. Now what? You get penalized for doing good. How does the reward system work now? I remember reading of one man in the 1500s. He was called to be a pastor during the Reformation years. He gave his life to serving the people of the community and different communities. The government had put a death penalty on those who would leave the state church. and He had to run for his life many times and they wanted to kill him. He was always able to escape. But over the years, persecution eased up and it wasn't so severe anymore. And then he became elderly and not so healthy anymore. And then even the church ignored him, basically left him to suffer. The very organization he had sacrificed so much for. It seemed all his years of sacrifice had been forgotten by the very people he sacrificed it for. The question becomes, is there no reward? Are there no benefits? Was it all in vain? I want to say this, if the grave is the end, then there are many people in this world who will never see justice, who will never see rewards. If the grave is the end, then life is very empty and shallow, and as the Ecclesiastes writer says, it's meaningless. If the grave is the end, there is no hope for those who have given their lives for the benefit of others. And if you read Ecclesiastes, the last part's a bit more optimistic, but the first part's very depressing. He calls it chasing after the wind, vanity of vanities, what does man gain for all his labor under the sun, he writes. Under the sun is a key phrase there. And if this life is all there is, then it makes sense to say that nothing makes sense, right? Or maybe that doesn't make sense either. If the writer of Ecclesiastes was correct in his early writings in the book, everything is chasing after the wind, then really life is very bleak. Then all of it matters nothing. When it comes to the meaning of life, we hear comments like, what does it value? What value is it? What does it mean? I want to say this to us. For us as children of God, we're convinced life is not all there is that we see here. This life is only a small part of the bigger picture. This life is just a little tiny part. I believe for every action there is a result. For every deed that comes from somewhere, it's rooted in something and it grows to something. Every deed comes from somewhere and leads to somewhere. Every word we say has weight for good or bad. Every deed we do has an impact positive or negative, and it does not end with death. For every word, for every action, there's a check and a balance. The Bible teaches that there will be rewards for work done in God's name, both here and now and beyond. Let's read Matthew 12, verse 36 to 37. Jesus says these words. He says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. You can't just go to a computer processor and hit click and then delete and then it's gone. It's forever written in, this, in the, in the um, records of heaven. Jesus wasn't joking. Most people don't think about life in those terms. We often say things we don't mean or things we don't think through. Jesus takes us far more seriously than we give him credit for. 
Just think for a moment how much of what we do say, we say with a long-range view in mind. How much of what we do is done with anticipation for a future outcome. The principles woven throughout life, just think of it, for instance, let's go through this next slide here. People go to work. Work translates into time. Time is paid with money. Money buys necessities. Necessities provide for life. Life brings fulfillment, or at least it should. Nothing wrong with the system, but then the problem is when the system is contaminated. Let's look at the next one. A person may waste money. Wastefully. You spend money wastefully. Money is wasted for harmful stuff. Harmful stuff brings pain, boredom and pain. Boredom and pain bring despair. Despair brings ruin of life. And I'm sure you all know people, all know circumstances, situations where this is the case. Sin does not cancel out the structure that God has created, the reward and penalty system that God has designed and built life around. Sin can contaminate it, but not get, it, get rid of it. When sin is introduced, the whole thing is thrown off balance. The idea that a person can sin with no consequences, no accountability is false. It may look that way, it may appear that way, and sometimes it looks as if those who do right, they get no reward, no benefit. It may look that way, it may appear that way, but it is not that way. People of Israel tried it numerous times. In the book of Hosea, chapter 8, verse 7, there's a verse that says, Hosea writes, For they sow the wind, they shall reap the whirlwind, meaning they're living in sin, they will reap destruction. They pushed aside God's principles, Hosea warned them, and it happened. I've read of people who willfully engage in sinful actions, Life falls apart, then they blame God for their life falling apart. It's a bit like me taking a car, driving a terrible speed around the corner of a mountainous road, and get off the road and then sue the car manufacturer. You should have built the car so I could drive around the corner as fast as I like. That's tantamount to what that is. How foolish. If we break the rules, we shouldn't expect success. We shouldn't expect rewards. Proverbs writes, writes in chapter 22, 8 verse 9, he says, Whoever sows injustice will reap calamity, and the rod of his fury will fail. Whoever is a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with, with the poor. The Proverbs that were written in the book of Proverbs, they are not absolute universalist statements in saying everything always happens this way every time. But these are the principles. If a person lives unjustly, the principle is there will be consequences. If a person sows sinful actions, they will harvest trouble. Maybe it's not apparent right away, but in the end, that's what happens. On the other hand, those who seek to benefit, bless others, they gain rewards. Maybe not right away, maybe not here and now, but it will come. Many years ago, I remember this event in Mexico, it's, uh, as it was yesterday, it's very interesting. Some, our neighbor came in, and we were just talking, and my dad was there, and my neighbor and my dad were talking, and the neighbor told a story, and he said, yeah, he said, he, um, we're talking about honesty and stuff like that, and he said, yeah, he had this guy who came to buy some, some wheat or corn from him one day, and and they didn't have this modern heavy-duty farm equipment to, ma to load big, massive amounts of grain right away. And, and farmers were small in that general area. The community said so what he did was he had small, a small scale and small equipment. And so this guy wanted to buy, I don't know how many kilos of grain. And so they had this big tub, and they put it on the scale and fill it with grain. It's so heavy. And so they would just measure it by the tub, how many tubs times how many pounds in the tub or kilos in the tub. And then that's how they would, how they would figure out how much grain he had sold and, the farmer said, as he was filling this tub with the grain, and every time a, a tub of grain went onto the truck, he all of a sudden realized, once in a while, the guy who was buying grain from him would put a little extra mark on the paper that he was, had there hanging there to check mark how much grain he was loading. The farmer, this, this buyer was trying to steal from him. So, and then he would load another bin, and then he would put it on there, and then all of a sudden he realized he just put an extra mark there. 
What the guy was trying to do, he was trying to steal grain. But he was flipping it. He was stealing from himself. How foolish. God has ways, sometimes instantly, of blinding the perpetrator. Instantly. This guy. And so I don't, and, and, and the discussion, I don't know if he actually then told the guy, look, you're marking more than you're buying. I don't know if he did that. Let, did he let him just steal from himself? But the guy was paying a price for his attempts to steal. He did not catch what he was doing. And I, again, I don't remember if the farmer told him, wait a minute, you're stealing from yourself. I don't know if he told him that because he was gaining. Proverbs 11 verse 18 says, The wicked earns deceptive wages, but one who sows with righteousness gets a sure reward. The evil the wicked want to do is going to backfire on them. Sooner or later it happens. Sometimes right away, sometimes later. But it comes. Our deeds and our actions are not neutral. We may think we're getting ahead, but it's not. We're actually borrowing from the future. It's going to, the price we pay is unpayable. Our deeds are not disconnected from reality. When sin is involved, there's no telling where it will lead to. And anybody who thinks, well, I'll outsmart the rules and the system God has created, think again. There's no such thing as the perfect crime. Oh, you may get away here now, but on your deathbed you will you'll face it. And maybe not there, maybe after, but it'll come. Selfish, greedy efforts are always destructive, sometimes to the perpetrator and the victim, but always to the perpetrator, sooner or later. But those who do right will have an honest reward. Sin does not lead to blessings. Well, someone might say, well, I did, and I didn't get caught. Not yet. Sin does not lead to blessings. It may feel as if it does, it may seem as if it does, but it carries seeds of death. When I use the word sin, I mean any action that takes the focus away from God for self-focus and violates God's principles. It's that simple. God, in His grace, in His sovereignty, ensures that His standards will not be violated without consequence. When Jesus came to this earth and lived on this earth, He taught His listeners to deny themselves, to take up their cross, and to follow Him. Jesus was a teacher who pointed people to a higher purpose of existence than self. He says in Matthew 20, verse 28, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. When everything in life always comes about, becomes about self, in the end, it seizes up. It goes off the rails. It may not appear that way at the beginning, but in the end, it does. There's a story in the Bible Actually, it's a letter of instruction in the Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning verse 1, where Paul writes to the Corinthian church. He looks back into history of the people of Israel, and he points out to the church the principles of sin that impacted the nation of Israel. Let's read that, 1 Corinthians beginning 10, verse 1. He says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the Red Sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. The rock was Jesus Christ. Every single one of those people had been called. Everyone had been invited. Every one of them was on the same journey. All of them had the same starting point, the same benefits, the same opportunity, the same calling. Little did they know that this would turn out to be a testing time to see what was in their hearts, their relationship with God, which of them were true and who were not. In the end, of all this massive crowd of people that left Egypt, only two who were aged 24 and, 21 and older, only two of them would enter the promised land, namely Joshua and Caleb. 
all the rest, because of their disobedience and their complaining and their rebelling, they all died in the desert. And that was the punishment, that was the penalty for their disobedience and their selfish living. God took their complaints very seriously. And when they had completed that journey for the first time, almost ready to go into Canaan, they said, no, it's too dangerous, we're afraid, we can't do it. God says, fine, those of you who complained, all of you are going to die in the desert. I think if I had been Joshua and Caleb, there was, God did say, Joshua and Caleb haven't complained, they're going to go in. I would have complained. You mean i got to walk 40 more years in this desert because of them? Well, they didn't complain. They knew the reward was coming. Notice how Paul continues in the story of the Israelites in verse 5 and on. He says, Nevertheless, with most of them God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell on a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. See, this was not just a one-time complaint that happened. It was a lifestyle. They had a habit of again and again and again going their own way, and suffering the consequences for their actions. Paul is telling the Corinthian church and saying, don't do that. Don't follow that path. Don't go that road. It cost them. They ignored the commands of God, and they rebelled, and they suffered. Let's continue reading verse 11. He says, now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common, to, not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Do we see the connection here? Sin brought penalties. For Joshua and Caleb, it's not mentioned here, but we know the story. It brought rewards. The obedience brought rewards. It's true we live in the church age. We're not under the law. We're under grace. But let me tell you, the laws of reaping and sowing have not changed. God's laws of holiness, His moral principles have not changed. God has not changed. But God has provided a way of escape for us from the powers of temptation to put our trust in Him. And when we do, there's grace. We can repent and confess and receive forgiveness. The reason we're under grace is not so we can sin and disobey God and get away with it. The reason is we're under, under grace is because we live in a relationship with Christ. God gives that to us, and then He gives us His grace to walk with Him in the path of obedience. And when those things happen, yes, there's a benefit. The rewards. Maybe it's not earthly, physical, material, but there's peace and there's love and there's compassion and we have a relationship. And even, even if, when people do repent when they sin, when they have sin and they repent, there's grace, the consequences are not erased. And I've sometimes told people when they deal with this, and I say, look, if you truly repent, are truly committed and truly surrendered, you will even embrace the consequences. Moses did. You see, God, he was God's chosen leader. He led the Israelites. Paul doesn't talk about it here, but it's in the story in the Old Testament. He too succumbed to complaining. One time God had told him to, um, the Israelites were complaining again. God said, okay, you provide water for them. And he was upset. And, and God said, I want you to go talk to the rock, and the rock will produce water. And Moses was upset. And he, must I always, and you rebels, and off he went on a complaining rant, and he beat the rock with his stick, and the water came. Faith was there, but obedience was flawed. And God said, Moses, because you disobeyed me, didn't honor me before these people, as I said, told you to, 
you will not enter the promised land. And Moses tried to bargain with God, in fact. God says, nope, you'll die in the desert. He continued on his job, continued leading, and he died in the desert too. Our experience does not have to be an experience of failure and despair. Quite the opposite. We have the instruction manual on how to live so that we can receive the intended rewards already here up to a point. When we surrender our lives to Jesus, walk in obedience to Him, we do not earn salvation, but rewarded, we are rewarded for obedience. There are stories of living in obedience. The writer to the Hebrews had something to say about God's reward system toward those who are faithful. Let's turn to Hebrews 11, beginning of verse 1. The Hebrews writer says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. He goes on to great detail. Let's read this in the next one, verse 4 and on down. It says, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. By faith, Enoch was taken up so he would not see death. By faith, Noah in reverent fear constructed an ark. By faith, Abraham obeyed. By faith, Sarah herself conceived power to con- received power to conceive. You see the step, step, down, down? It's always a trail of faith. Let's read verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They didn't get the reward here and now, but they knew it's coming. And yes, we, we know because... We have the story of Moses when he met Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Moses is in heaven with God. Moses is enjoying the rewards, but he paid for his complaining on this earth. The truth about all these characters is they looked beyond the immediate, the here and now, kept their eyes on the future, and based on what they saw, they made their decisions to live here in a certain way. Let's continue reading verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob blessed each of, each of the sons of Joseph. By faith, Joseph made mention of the Exodus. By faith, Moses was hidden for three months. Next one. By faith, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. By faith, he kept the Passover. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish. And continuing, and what more shall I say, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. Verse 33, who through faith conquered kingdoms and forced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refused to accept release. Others suffered mocking, flogging, chains, imprisonment. They were stoned, sawn in two, killed with a sword, went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. All these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us they should not be made perfect." The reward might not come right away. Maybe not even here and now, but it's coming. One day. All of what we've seen here in Hebrews 11, this family continues. They, together with us, all of us, we will be rewarded. Jesus promised it. The rewards of this world may look more attractive here and now, but in the end, they're just hollow, empty mist. They're nothing. All the money and the power and the fame is nothing. Like steam from a kettle, it vanishes. 
Proverbs 11, verse 23 writes, The godly can look forward to a reward, while the wicked can expect only judgment. The curtain of history one day will close on planet Earth, and Jesus will usher in eternity, and then everything will settle. Nothing that's crooked will not be made straight. Everything will be evened out. Jesus told his disciples this. One writer put it this way, he said, Today is the cross, tomorrow is the crown. Today is the labor, tomorrow is the wages. Today is the sowing, tomorrow is the harvest. Today is the battle, tomorrow is the rest. Today is the weeping, tomorrow is the joy. And what is today compared to tomorrow? Today is maybe 70 years, but tomorrow is for eternity. You see, in this world it often looks like Christians are losing out. They're not losing out, they're saving up. They're investing. Jesus did say, lay up for yourselves treasures on, on, in heaven. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And that's not monetary value. That's good deeds and obedience and loyalty to Christ. We're investing. God has designed us, created us, and placed us here for His glory and our blessings. And when we serve Jesus by loving Him and one another, then we're living out His purpose for our lives. And you know what? It may not look easy or attractive or desirable, so what? We know it's destiny. And what's here looks easy, desirable, and attractive, but look at its end. May God give us the grace to serve Him here and now. May we entrust our lives to Him to do as He sees fit for His glory and His service. And in the end, we'll be rewarded with blessings when we meet Him. Let's pray. Lord, we recognize we're not in charge. We realize you're in control. We pray that you give us the insight and the wisdom to live wisely, not allow ourselves to be swayed by popular opinions and trends in our culture. As we see our world slipping away in many ways, falling through the cracks of moral degradation, we know in due time you will hold everyone responsible. There will be rewards and penalties. Lord, teach us to obey you. Teach us to realize that nothing is hidden. All that we do is open and transparent before you. May we live lives of honor. May we live for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.